Welcome to Two Idiots One Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Bailey. And before we start today, I want to take a second to tell you guys a little story about a haunted house experience that I had when I was younger. So I was probably about 9, 10, and I went over to one of my classmates' house for like a Halloween party because her birthday was around Halloween. While we were there, we went on like a little ghost tour behind their house because they had like a relatively large like forested area behind their house. And while on the trail, her dad came and grabbed me, which obviously we didn't know that's who it was because he was in costume. And once we got a safe distance away, he like sat me down and like talked to me. And I was, wasn't aware that it was going to happen, but I was like cool with it happening because, you know, I thought it was cool. I was like, oh man, the, the bad guy got me and I didn't think I was in any danger. And then we were talking and he was like, so what we're going to do is we're going to dress you up like a zombie and we're going to put you further down the trail so your classmates are going to run into you. And I was like, oh, that sounds really fun. So that's what we did. And we scared all of my classmates and it was just really cool. Do you have any cool uh, haunted house stories, Taylor? I mean, yeah, I got a few. So I guess I'll stick to the theme of being a little kid. And my my first ever haunted house I went to, right? My dad helped run one in the town over from us that was pretty big. And he took me. I don't know why he thought a six-year-old needed to go through a haunted house. But I guess this, this explains why I was terrified of clowns for so long. Because we go through and he's carrying me and I'm like, crying and pissing myself okay what a child well i was yes i was a child and then all of a sudden uh towards the end there was this big huge seven foot tall clown that was super creepy and as soon as i saw it i started crying and then as soon as i started crying the guy who it was which was my dad's friend who also helped run the haunt took the head off and suddenly i recognized that it wasn't a seven foot tall clown guy did he try to console you i mean yes that's good. I got uh, scared at a haunted house once when I was pretty little, and the guy who scared me like immediately took his mask off and started trying to console me, going, "Oh, I was just like, I was just like playing." Which is what he did. He was, you know, like, "Oh no, it's just me. No reason to be scared." And then I immediately uh, brightened up a little bit. The only other thing that I can remember from that is there was a room with white sheets, and somebody dressed. I think it was in all black. I could be remembering it incorrectly. Would kind of zip through really quickly in between the sheets and just kind of, you know, be freaky and disillusion you. So that was that was lovely. But yeah, going to a haunted house as a kid is not fun. You know what else isn't fun? Going to a haunted house as an adult when the house is actually haunted. Oh, yeah. I don't think that would be fun at all. It reminds me of today's movie, which is Hell House LLC. And this was written and directed by the exact same guy, whose name is Stephen Mazzagatti. Mazzagatti? Yeah. I thought it was Stephen Cognetti. I'm sorry, that was a, that was a lame joke. I don't. Steve Mazzagatti, the referee in the UFC, that was like really bad at his job. Oh. Sorry. No, it's Steve Cognetti who wrote and directed Hell House LLC. That's a real person. Yeah, he did uh, all three of them. Yes, I believe he wrote directed all three, which yeah, ironically enough, we're going to talk about all three. However, we're not going to be doing it all in this episode. We're going to be doing it a little different today. So instead of having a super episode, we're going to talk about the first one with this episode. And then we're immediately going to release a second episode on the same day where we talk about two and three and get more into the lore regarding uh, Hell House and all of its majestic glory. Which, I mean, spoiler <laughs> alert, I'll be completely honest here. The first one has a lot to talk about, and then the other two really don't. But there's a lot of lore between the, the second and third movie. So, in the second podcast... 
That's basically what we're going to talk about. But that's okay. That's why we're doing two. So you get a twofer. Ooh, a sweet, sweet twofer. So I I do want to say that I like this movie. Um, so if I was to give it a rating from one to five, I would probably give it a 3.5. And that's just because the second time I watched it, um, the same issue I had the first time I watched it, which was the ending. I mean, I are you talking about when well, they well hold on we'll we'll get to it because there's a lot i want to unravel but we need to we need to build okay. up to it okay that's fair that's fair what would so you give it i would give this because i've also seen this one twice the first time i saw it was maybe three or four years ago it was uh right after uh hell house three released i watched all three of them like back to back in like one day that's impressive <laughs> i uh had no life obviously that's okay but um, I would say I would probably give this about the same about a 3.5 because I really like this one. I thought it had a lot of good horror elements. And if you like found footage films, I think you would probably enjoy the first one as long as you're not opposed to pretty typical scare tactics. Like everything that happens like well, with the objects and stuff is something you would anticipate from a haunting. But yeah, but I mean, it has a cool concept. So what is this movie about? So... I'm not going to do Taylor's famous five-sentence uh, review oh. or five-sentence summary. Do you want me to do a five-sentence summary? Uh, if you want to before I get, get straight ahead. into it. Okay, so I'll do I'll do my five-sentence summary. Okay, ready? Okay. Haunted house. Hell house. This place is really haunted. Weird shit happens. Oops, we're dead. So I, I think that you should have unpacked hell house a little bit more. Well, I so was going to unpack it <laughs> with the actual review. What I would have just changed Hell House to Haunted Attraction. Haunted Attraction. Okay, that's fair. Or uh, a haunted haunt. House. A haunt. Haunted House Company. Yeah, exactly. Or hold on, let me redo it. Haunted House, haunted house Company takes over Haunted House. Uh, five friends. Really creepy camera guy. Spooky shit. Oops, we're dead. Okay, that's fair. I think that sums up, that sums up the whole movie in about five sentences. Yeah. So the way that I would um, start it off with this movie, um, the way I'm going to explain it is there was a, a hotel in Abaddon, New York, which is in upstate New York. And this pretty well-known uh, Halloween production company that does haunted houses in New York City for one reason or another, which is explained later, ends up setting up at a new location, which they decide to do the Abaddon Hotel. They get there, they set up, and as they set up, they notice things start happening weird. They've heard rumors that this place used to be potentially haunted and like weird disappearings have happened in the town. And then they, you know, hear that Abaddon uh, is the demon that guards the gates of hell. And they're like, oh, this is funny. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in anything. So I'm not scared. As it progresses, weird things start happening. Inanimate objects move. Yes, that all happens. And then basically. Um, there is a really big, huge... So one thing that you failed to mention is that this is a found footage movie that basically is playing itself off as a documentary of a 2009 incident at the Abaddon Hotel, which was the Hell House attraction, where there was a weird, freaky disturbance, and I think like 15 people died that night in 2009. The whole movie is basically putting together footage and trying to figure out if what actually happened there was a malfunction of props and equipment and stuff, or if there was actually something sinister and evil that happened at the Abaddon. Like a supernatural element. 
which is what everybody thinks. And then you got the other people that go, no, it was just failed prop equipment. Yeah, so the town police and the city officials are all trying to play it off like, oh, no, there's nothing weird here. Hell House set up their equipment and malfunction. And then you have the actual people that are like, no, that hotel has been haunted since the 80s. There was something that happened there. I don't know what, but something happened that night. Exactly. So before we get into it, I do I do have a little um, hard fact, I guess, about it that I thought was like super cool. So the first time I watched it, I watched the director's cut of it, which at the end had some really cool information. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about this movie is, first of all, it doesn't actually take place in New York. It takes, takes place in Pennsylvania. Okay, fun fact for you. And it actually does take place in a real haunted house, which is called The Haunting at the Waldorf Hotel. Speaking of that, there's also YouTube footage of, uh, like, random people who have, like, a YouTube page that went there and recorded themselves, like, on the outside of it, and they, like, walked around, and, like, they show you the doors and stuff. Yes, I I did see those. Um, I watched, I think, like, a 10-minute-long video of someone, like, peeking in the windows and stuff going, oh, it's really spooky, I'm scared. Which... (laughs) So there are a lot of those that you'll find. Now, one thing I did find was a guy went through and actually talked with the owner and went through and kind of explained everything. And the owner is Angie Moyer. Is that you pronounce that? That's pretty cool. She also was the set designer for the movie. And she owns the Waldorf Hotel, which they filmed this during off-season, right? But one of the really cool things is that most of the people that you see in the movie that are going through as um, the patrons or whatever. Guests. Guests at the hotel are actually the actors for the Waldorf Hotel and then some random people that she knows from the town that they're in in Pennsylvania. That's really cool. Yeah, so most they were like super excited about it. There is another fact about that. But yeah, it actually takes place in this hotel. And one of the things that I thought was super cool is when... This was being presented to her. Um, this this is basically a movie, she says in her words, about her because it does the same thing that she did because the Waldorf Hotel was actually a hotel that was abandoned and turned into a haunted house, much like in the movie, the Abaddon Hotel was abandoned and then turned into Hell House. So when she was reading over it and doing the props and everything like that, it was really cool. And the the piano player, who has a name, I just can't Hector? remember. Yes. He is an actual real prop that they use at the Waldorf Hotel, and you can actually see him if you go through the haunt every once in a while. They'll put him in like random places throughout the haunt every year. That's pretty cool. I think they should do that with the uh, clowns in the basement, too. Yes, I, I think so, too. I think that would be real spooky because, honestly, like I feel like if you can suspend your disbelief, this could be a really scary movie. Yes. Because of the way the it's pieced together like like he said it's found footage and it's literally just like various like cell phone cameras and you can even tell by like the dimensions of the video or the perspective or the aspect it's shot in mm-hmm. that like if it's a cell phone video or so and or not but it works yeah but that's the thing because of the way it's cut together it looks really good and it could potentially be really scary the only issue i had with it that made me like not like it was it does like a lot of like staticky cuts and stuff, which is not how video footage works. But it is if it's supernatural. If something supernatural is, you know, affecting the camera. Right. And I mean, that's probably the way that they tried to play it off. And that's probably the directorial reason why they did it. And so that it wouldn't be like boring shots of people just like sprinting 
right. you know, being scared. But I didn't really like it. It was I found it to be distracting, which kind of detracted from my score. But the way that it's pieced together is really good. And if you can suspend your disbelief, or if you already like believe that supernatural stuff is possible, I think that this could be a very very scary movie for you. So I do want to make a confession. Okay. Um, for all three of these movies, there is no Roger Ebert score at all. I scoured the internet, and I could not find a single article, even on RogerEbert.com, about this movie. So I will have to make up a Roger Ebert score. I don't know if you can do that. I am. Okay, what do you think he'd give it, or his team? So I'm going to give it slightly less than what he gave. So I found one, the Blair Witch Okay. Okay. Found footage. From 2016. I think he, they did the Blair Witch of 2016, but not Hell House of 2015. I literally don't understand, but yeah. So I took that because it was kind of recent and found footage, and it's not the original. It's not as good, though. Right. Like, so. Hell House LLC, in my opinion, is better than Blair Witch 2016. Yes, I agree, but I don't like the original Blair Witch, so. I think the original Blair Witch is better than 2016. Well, anyway, not the point. The point is they gave it three stars so then i would say they would probably give this three or 3.5 yes if i had to make an assumption that's what we will say RogerEbert.com gave it because it's not there but it's just a guess like we are we have no affiliation with them and we can't give scores for them but but based off of what a movie similar to this would be like a found footage movie that's what we feel they would do but again pure speculation and if at some point in the future this episode is released and they actually do have a score for it this episode came out before they reviewed it we did it first so rogerebert.com if you're listening we did it first but yeah so you uh you want to talk about this movie um i mean the the issue with it is is a lot of the stuff in the movie is like more of like a visual thing than than something like i can explain because most of the scares in this movie are it's more suspense than scare like you see random figures in the background that aren't explainable and sometimes the characters don't even notice it which so this this movie does the found footage thing in a believable way because it puts it together like a documentary so you have interviews that look really good and high quality shots of the people that reported on it or survived that night then you have the really grainy cell phone footage that was captured by the people that are in line um, because when this movie opens, it's basically opening to what happened that night of everybody explaining it and then cutting to the cell phone footage, which looks great. Well, vaguely explaining. Right. I mean, obviously, as the story goes on, but the, the main gist of what is is that they something happened, people freaked out, people died, no one really knows. Uh, wasn't it eight died and seven disappeared or seven bodies were never recovered? Yes, but I think that was the Hell House people is what they were referring to with that one. Uh, I think so. And then the c- maybe a couple other guests because one of the guests that body was never recovered is is seen as a ghost later. Okay, but the, yeah, we'll talk about that later though because that's for the second movie. Right, but well, what I'm saying is there were additional people other than Hell House unrecovered from the Hell House incident. That we don't know about. What I'm saying is there were five Hell House members missing and then two additional individuals missing because it says there were seven missing and eight dead. Which it never goes, it doesn't go into detail until the next movie with that one, but kind of builds a foundation for it. Yeah. Um, But basically, there, um, so I really enjoyed a lot of the scares 
in this movie. Again, the ending was a little iffy for me. And I, didn't like it. I mean, I guess lackluster would be the word. But I really do enjoy the way this movie does everything because it actually feels like a documentary until the end. And it really feels like something could possibly have happened. And this was, you know, actual recovered footage. Because the way that they get around why there's a camera and everything is being recorded is because in the, what they're... Adam, I believe, is the main guy. I think that's his name. I'm um, unsure. Uh, I didn't... The initial group of people, I didn't really keep track of their names because they're pretty interchangeable other than the main guy. So, the yeah, Alex. Alex. That was it. It was Alex. Um, there's Alex, Sarah, Mac. Paul. Paul. Right. I think it was Paul. I think Paul's the cameraman. Paul's the cameraman? I believe so. However, I... And Tony. Because there was... Oh, well, technically his name is Andrew, but everybody calls him Mac. So, I'm going to call him Mac. Okay. I liked him. Um, but, yeah, the uh, the really creepy guy who was the... Which, they, they do this really cool thing, I think, when they're going to Hell House, where he was asking them about a movie. What was it, Terminator? No, it was uh, I Am Legend. I Am Legend, that was it. Because he's interviewing Sarah, asking her questions about it, which this dude's kind of weird, but I think that was his character was supposed to be. Because, basically, his whole character was trying to sleep with women i mean i don't i don't i don't know if i would call him weird like he seemed like an average like single dude who's on the quest and that's it yeah where you know alex was trying to be professional about everything but basically so he does have the the cameraman the main one um a job of documenting everything so that way they can have this footage later for their website of the construction of everything. And then they can also have documentation of how it went so they can look back on it and figure out the pros and cons of what they did to do or not do next year. So that's how they get away with what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, and like Taylor said, the way the way that the or the reasoning for the footage existing makes sense to to a, to a pretty large extent because like a lot of the stationary cameras were set up to protect guests which ironically enough um fun fact for you those cameras actually do exist and are in the haunt for that very reason the computer room that they use to monitor everything is the legitimate computer room that they have set up for the haunted house and she explains that the whole reason they have the cameras is to make sure that the guests are okay and to make sure that the actors are okay and they can pull up every room individually like they do in the movie. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. The, so they use the like already in place systems to record? Yes. Or was that actual footage from them or did they set up additional cameras? Do you know? Both. Both. So sometimes they so when you when you look at everything on the screens when they're in the rooms and stuff like that. That's that from was, those, those cameras. Yeah, that's all from the stationary cameras. Um, unless they needed a specific shot then they would put up their own cameras, but it's basically those cameras and then the cameras that they're using and their GoPros for okay. everything. Speaking of shots, can I talk about my favorite shot in this movie? Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. So there's a long, continuous shot where one of the individuals from Hell House, it goes down to the basement and or is going towards the basement, and he sees one of the clowns set up. And then he walks past the clowns because he thinks it's one of his friends who sat it there. And then he looks down the basement stairs and when he turns back the clown's head is rotated. Yes. That shot, I want to say it was about two minutes of continuous footage without any cuts. Mm -hmm. 
and its movement between multiple rooms and you know there's special effects which i'm doing air quotes but you guys can't see that and but i can and that's the important part yeah and the special effects are you know the clown's head moving the way they did it would be easy to do but if you're suspending if you're watching it with suspended disbelief which is i the way i think you ought to watch horror movies yes it is so so frightening and because of how like long and flowy the shot is it just looks super good and that's my favorite scene so so the way that they did that was they have so the clown is put on a dummy for a majority of the time but they would just had a guy in a clown suit yeah, I, f- I forgot who it was, but it's like one of the producers or something. The, there were two people that would intermittently change for the clown suit for those scenes because the dummy that they had that he was on legitimately could not rotate its head. So that was real. That's pretty cool. Because that's one of the things that he explains. Is that a bird? That was a bird and sirens. Okay. I, if that appears in the podcast, I apologize. It's but just a little nature. little nature. Yeah, we're not doing this outside, but that would be cool. We could do a we could do a part cast. Ooh, I like that. But anyway, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll get back into it with things start to happen. I think that's like the first. No, no, the first weird thing to happen, and one of the things that doesn't make any sense to me is they spend the night, like the whole time that they're there. Since this used to be a hotel, they have hotel rooms. They set up shop. And the camera guy starts recording himself talking into it, basically talking about how the actors are going to get here, and one of them needs to be fuckable. Like a self-interview. Yes. And while he's doing that, there is this really, which I think it's Sarah. It is. um, Who starts walking and is in the doorway with this red light behind her, and he doesn't immediately see it, and it's really creepy. And then finally he like turns around and goes, oh shit, Sarah. And then starts talking to her. She doesn't say anything. And then she just walks away. Stuff like that happens a lot, especially in the first one. Yes. So if you haven't seen the movie, which obviously we're going to spoil it, but I would recommend not like playing on your phone or anything during it, which I know is unfortunately how, how a lot of people of my generation watch movies. Right. Because almost all of the cool stuff in this movie is visual. So if you're not paying attention the whole time, you won't see how in a lot of scenes you see people walking in the background or you see like weird faces and stuff in the background. Just like a lot of weird stuff throughout the entire film when they're in the hotel leading you up to like something is actually happening here. It's really bad. And it does it does a really good job of pausing and then popping up like subtitles explaining what's going on because the camera would capture something. And then they will freeze frame the figure in the background or whatever's happening. Now, one of my favorite scenes, because there are three scenes that stick out to me in this whole movie. And the first one that I thought was creepy as hell. Besides, so I'm not going to talk about your stair scene because that, that would be number four, obviously. But you've already talked about that. Really love that one. The next one is the strobe light test. Oh, dude. Where they're testing out the strobe lights. And he's like, how many dummies are there supposed to be? And he says three. And that. he goes, there's nine. There's four. That was that was honestly a really good one, too. That, because every time the strobe flashes, you would see a figure. And he would just start moving and then disappear and then get closer. And it freaks the dude out real bad who's, who's testing it out. He's freaking out, banging on the walls. And then he throws up, which was real. Um, that was not scripted. He actually did throw up because of the strobe lights. That's pretty wild. So yeah, that was just that was just caught. 
Um, but that is a phenomenal scene, in my opinion, and really amplifies the spook factor. Yeah, no, I really like that scene. Well, and it makes it even better because you they the the camera starts to kind of glitch out a little bit, um, but it pauses and then zooms in so that way you can see that there is, in fact, something, and there was something there, but nobody believes them. Even when they're watching the footage and all that, nobody believes them. Well, so that's something, uh, not to cut you off because I still want you to finish your scenes, but that's something that really bothered me about this movie. Mm-hmm. Like the only thing, and it's something that continues throughout all of them. For me, if I if things are spooky, like I'm not gonna stick around. And it just I feel like I feel like this movie makes the assumption that people are dumb, which I'm not gonna argue that there are dumb people. But this movie, to me, it's too open about what it is. Like part of the part of the diminishment of my score is it is super apparent to everyone in this house that there's something wrong. Most of the time, they're just like, oh, well, we're going to pretend there's not something wrong. It's going to be okay, which it's explained why, but it, it still seems like it was hard for me to suspend my disbelief on the choices that the people make. So I will I will argue with you and say that I, I enjoyed that aspect of it, and I think the reason I did was because of Alex's character, who is the guy that is in charge of everything. He This is his company. He wants everything to work, so he... Even though he knows something is going on, he doesn't care. And he knows everybody knows what's going on and they want to leave, but Alex convinces them in this weird hypnotic way of we're playing pranks on each other. That's what that was. Because like the the clown scene where he's recording and everybody is sitting there and he's like, Look at this footage. As soon as they show the footage and you see the clown's head turn, which they stated way before it that the clown's move. head cannot move. That's why they all have to be facing the same way. Yep. And you see that. Everybody sees it. And then immediately somebody, which I think it's Alex, goes, why are you pranking us? Yeah. And and that's the thing. Because he knows that something is going on. And throughout the rest of the movie, you know, he's just like, okay, well, everybody else is here. Peer pressure or whatever. Because he gets sucked into it. But he, he knows that something is going on and is not comfortable. But it's because of this charm and... I don't even know the, the correct term for it, but that Alex... Charisma. Or, or, yeah, charm and charisma of Alex and this comforting and convincingness of it's okay, nothing is going on. We're just playing a prank on each other that if someone's messing with somebody, which does happen in haunted houses, right? Yeah. When you're when you're building them and shit, people sit around and, and whoa, uh. Well, I mean, it happens literally everywhere. Like anyone who has ever been with a group of friends in a potentially spooky situation knows that a lot of people's defensive mechanism is making jokes, trying to make people laugh or more scared in order to make someone else laugh. And that's why I think it works. No, I mean, like I said, I recognize that it works, but after a certain point, I feel like after a certain point, it's hard for me to suspend my disbelief. Well, and there are there are people that leave. Yeah, well, like, like I said, most people. Right. So I'll talk about I'll talk about the next one. Because the strobe light scene was just great. Yeah, and I'm sorry um, to cut you off like that. That's okay. My my favorite one of all time okay. is when the camera dude, Joey, is that his name? I think so. When he, or Paul. Or Paul. Joey or Paul, whatever his name is. I don't know. Their names really don't matter. No, they. I mean, they're very interchangeable. They're all very basic names, and they're meant to be. Yeah, basically the only people that you actually care about in this film and know the names of are Alex and Sarah. 
pretty and, much yeah like those are the people that they want you to focus on and that's one thing i have a problem with this movie is that they say their names more than anybody else's and it's very apparent that is who you need to focus on well it's the same in all of the movies like in all of the movies you immediately know who the reporter is well yeah who or whoever whoever's running the show you're yeah you immediately know who they who the uh, director wants you to focus on because but their name is said over multiple. and over and over again in almost every scene sometimes yes. two or three times which i do have a problem with that but when he is recording himself and he like wakes up and there's this there's this you know noise or whatever um and he wakes up and he flicks on the light when he's in his room you know what i'm talking about and you see the girl oh. sitting there mm-hmm. which a hard fact that girl is actually um angie's daughter she had never she wanted to be in the movie and really wanted to act so they gave her that part i think she does a fantastic job um but he's like sitting there and he's disoriented because he woke up and then he looks over and just gets freaked because there's this girl sitting there and he immediately throws the covers over his head like yeah, a child. hides under the covers yeah just like a child so it's this you know this this very childish mechanism of if i throw the covers over my face nothing is going to happen and then he peeks out and she's getting closer and he throws them back up again kind of like what a little kid would do in this situation and he sits there for such a long time with the with the camera rolling underneath him and you can't really hear anything there's a little bit of rustling but and that's all that you get and then you know he's sitting there he's breathing very heavily so you can tell that he's panic induced reverting back to this childlike tactic of it's not going to happen if I can't see it. He like slowly starts pulling the covers down and then she's right there. And all of a sudden the camera starts to mess up and it's very apparent that he's dead. That is my favorite scene in this whole movie. I think that it is extremely creepy and works perfectly. But he didn't die. Yes, he did. No, he disappeared. And then when he came back like two days later, he was like catatonic. So... We'll get into it with the lore, because I think it is explained later in the movie, or not in this movie, but in the next movie. In this movie, he immediately comes back, and we are under the impression that he's catatonic. Yes, and that he just disappeared, and that he's lazy or whatever. But what ends up happening is he disappears, and then, oh, let me get to the third. My third favorite shot in this whole movie. Okay. By far. Okay. By far your third favorite? By far my third favorite has got to be the the cell phone footage shot of the dungeon scene uh, at like the end of the haunt where everything's oh. happening mm-hmm. because it's just it's shot in a way that's like believable and she's screaming this isn't a part of the show you need to let me out and then the clown dude gets up and just runs and like shoves people out of the way that one i just thought was shot very well because you can see it you can feel the pin the tension the terror and the panic and everybody but i really liked i liked that scene and what it was going for well, I mean, that's something that I'll say about all of these movies. If you can suspend your disbelief, the acting is really good. Yes. Especially in the first movie. More so in the first movie. The second and third movie have issues. I mean, even the third movie, I would say that to a certain point, the acting is... I would say the acting in three is pretty good. Two, not really, but I think the issue with two is it was more of a weak story and it made it to where people were like confused as to what they were actually supposed to be feeling at times. But I mean, I think that the acting in one is the best. I agree. Because it it was the same thing with like the, the acting in the Blair Witch is spot on. 
And I think that it's because most of the stuff you let the people just ad lib or whatever. Like this is the basic premise of what's going on here. Just kind of go for it. And I, I don't know if that was how the script was actually written. I have but, no idea. But I feel like a lot of their conversations are genuinely just a conversation and it's nice and flows easy and it doesn't seem like they're trying too hard or just reciting lines where I did feel that definitely in the second movie. So for the first one, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was all natural conversation. I wouldn't, or not all, but like mostly like, I wouldn't be surprised that if most of like the candid shots of people like hanging out, which Mm -hmm. happens a lot. Right. Which, which there are some really great scenes in that. I would imagine that most of those are not necessarily ad lib, but what the actors and actresses and the people involved were told is, hey, hang out. This is your character. Hang out as this character. Do whatever you feel like they would do. Exactly. And then they just captured footage and popped in because some of it like doesn't have a narrative purpose, like legitimate narrative purpose. It's just them celebrating because opening night's yeah. happening or whatever, and they're they're at the bar and excited, which I, I liked. There yeah. were a lot of those. Yeah, I think a lot of those scenes are probably, there were probably hours and hours of footage to pick from, and they were just the pieces that were picked, right. if I had to guess, which I don't know. I, I have no actual knowledge. This is just an assumption based on the way it feels. But it, it feels good. No, it's a positive feeling. And I like what they were doing. Yes. Like that's the thing. I really enjoyed what this movie was was doing, and I think there are genuinely terrifying parts in there. If you like what? Well, I mean, like give the, me an example. Okay, so obviously the little the one that I described, my favorite one, where he was, you know, pulling the sh- covers over his face like a little kid. I think and that was scary too. I thought that one was scary. I thought the strobe light one was scary, and I thought the uh, both scenes with the stairs and the clown. Yeah, we're we're scary. I think the way that they did most of the shots in the basement was done in a very good way because it made it appear to be like a frightening basement. Like it gives you, I don't I don't know exactly how to explain it. Like the perspective that it's shot in, like maybe the aspect ratio or just like the angle they have the camera. Well, they makes you feel small. Well, it's it's a very it's a it's a cramped area. Um, Mac is one of the taller individuals, and I think probably the tallest out of all of them. And you can see him kind of slumped over because if he stands up straight, he goes through the ceiling. Basically, yeah, it just makes you feel like small. It makes you it. It's got a claustrophobic feeling, which I liked because yeah, you can too. tell you can tell who the bigger people are because they're they're hunched over a little bit or bent at kind of a weird angle, and you can tell the shorter people aren't. But it's just it's a very claustrophobic. There's only there's only two ways out, and the other one's not very apparent. I don't I'm pretty sure that the other one is blocked for like all intents and purposes in the movie. Yes. There well, it's also not very well lit up more than anything, I think. Um I want to say that the intent behind that was at some point their chained up main girl will give them directions as to like get out or whatever because there's there's not and I went back and watched it but there's not really from what I can tell there's there's not a light anywhere that would indicate this is the way he makes he makes a comment and says this is where they're going to get out but well so the reason i think that it might have been like blocked or chained up or not intended to be used as an exit because i also remember that line but Mm -hmm. even when the clown leaves uh the actor that they hired to play the clown 
Yes. He doesn't try to exit that way. No. So because I because I don't think we ever see anyone try to exit that way throughout the whole movie. Well, I think that's also due to panic and fear because when the when the hooded figures enter, they enter from that way. So I think that he was just making a mad dash and saw the light and went. This is because in those situations, you're gonna go wherever you where see you the, have the like, most muscle memory to go. Right, and his muscle memory says up the stairs, go up to the rest of the haunted house, get like a side entrance out or whatever. But this is where everybody's at. So also, if I run through these people. They're going to go for them, not me. Where if I make this mad dash out the side entrance or the actual true exit, they're going to go after me because I'm by myself. But, well, I mean, even in, like, the later movies, like, there there are a couple times where I feel like it would be super logical to try to use that exit or alternatively use that as an entrance, and they, yes. neglect, to, and they neglect to do it. So, let's, uh, oh, we'll, we'll talk about the lore for this movie real quick. Um, because basically the lore is there was this guy, Andrew Tully, Andrew Tully, who owned the Abaddon Hotel and according to legend was doing satanic rituals in the basement. Trying to open the doorway to hell. Which is why when you go down to the basement when they first get there and they're talking about where they're going to set up the clowns, there are Bibles uh, strewn about and pentagrams and weird satanic symbols Upside that are all over crosses the crosses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Which I never understood why that was a satanic symbol because it's Catholic. I mean, I don't know. Like, well, and that's why I think it's super funny when people are like, "Yeah, upside down crosses," you know. I'm like, hardcore Satan and fuck God and all that, and you're like, "Nah, dude, that's literally Catholic. That's what a uh, oh, who was it like Saint Peter?" I do not have enough information to say. I don't know. Well, it's been a very long time, but I had I had a girlfriend who was Catholic, so I went and learned about Catholicism to basically be able to be accepted into the church, and then we broke up, so I didn't have to go through the six-month course to be accepted into it. But anyway, <laughs> uh, basically, it was either it was Peter or Paul did not want to be crucified the same way as Jesus because he didn't feel like he was worthy and deserved it, so he turned his cross upside down and was crucified upside down so he wouldn't be crucified the same way as christ that's what it is hmm. yeah i didn't know that yeah so when it, that's why when everybody's like oh yeah you know like it's for satan and all that it's like no no it's literally because you're you don't want to be you're not as worthy as jesus so you're crucifying yourself in a different way hmm. yeah i didn't Ooh. know that at all yeah there's a little fun fact for you Ooh, i like that little that little nugget of knowledge the more you know but yeah so there's a lot of stuff that's already down there and one of the things that I find very interesting is Alex never once says that it's haunted and then almost has like this fit when he's interviewing the attractive, uh, the attractive girl, the, the extra that's in the basement oh, or whatever, okay, yeah, like yeah, when yeah. he will, we'll go back. But whenever he's interviewing her and Paul walks up with his camera and is you know, flirting with her, flirting with, well, in a weird way. And it's very obvious that she's not really into him, but that's not the point. She ends up talking about the history of it and saying how everybody in town thinks it's haunted that there's like something satanic happening and it gets him uh freaked out a little bit yeah and then that's when you know alex turns on his arm and goes no it's just legend nothing has been proven everything is fine yeah okay it's just a silly urban legend but that's the power that this dude has yeah he's very very convincing but yeah, andrew Tully did that and then hung himself in the like 80s i think is when it was I want to say it was the 80s. It might have been the 70s. They, so the thing is, they don't give like a very clear timeline. It was historic. No. 
historically. It, it, historically, it was like I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out this number in 1983 is when he hung himself. It shows a picture of him, um, and he did it in like the dining room area. So the legend is, you know, Tully wanted to open up the the gates to hell. That's why he named it the Abaddon. Um, he was trying to find that portal and then sacrificed himself in order to open the portal. And that's why this place is haunted is because he did succeed and is haunting the hotel with like uh, malevolent spirits. Yeah, basically. That's what it is. What ends up happening is things happen. It's very apparent that Sarah is going to be the vessel. Yeah. Because she's... She does some really weird things. Constantly has like mild pers- or instances where she appears to be mildly possessed. And I mean, the first time that you see this, because you don't know that it's actually her in the doorway. You know, he says Sarah, but she never makes any mention. It's too dark to tell. Uh, the first time that you actually see her doing weird things is when they're going down into the basement because of the clown. And they hear her, and she's whispering something into the wall. Into the wall. It's very uh, Blair Witch-esque. Yes. And then they walk up to her and, like, you know, shake her shoulder, and she snaps out of it. And, and like, whoa, what's happening? What's going on? Why am I here? And then the clown moves, and everybody freaks out, and they're trying to get out of there. That was, like, that's when they're, like, this is weird. Uh, she does it again when they're... Um, filming their commercial or promo or whatever off in the distance there is a fountain everybody else is messing around with the dummies having a good time trying to film this and she's over talking to this fountain just hanging out super weird like yeah just chilling next to the fountain doing her thing talking probably talking probably mumbling incoherently which is what she does but it's very obvious that she's the the vessel for whatever is going on and ironically enough, she's the only one that survives. So she, but she does. She's the only person that survives this tragedy and then disappears, right? Because the, um, what's it called? The interview person or whatever, she ends up tracking her down and says, I have some tapes. You're shaking your head. She doesn't survive. Um, okay, but you don't know that. Well, so all of, we already said it earlier, all of the Hell House people were presumed to be missing. She plays it off like she went and died. Which she says something that I caught that was super interesting. And you can you, you can tell that she's dead because she's Very says, early. Well, and, and the reason you can do it is if you're paying attention, she says, when she asks her, where have you been? She goes, oh, I was in a better place. Yeah. Which is what people say to console people when someone has died. Exactly. So yeah, there are multiple, there are multiple times where she like, the way she answers questions and stuff is very apparent that she's like intentionally being misleading. But if you if you don't know that or aren't paying attention, then you assume she's she's alive. She's come for these interviews and she has exclusive footage that has never been released that she's going to show these people. So they kind of it kind of takes this turn to I don't even remember the reporter's name. I don't either. I don't think it's very important. It's not. They're mentioned like one time I think in the second movie and that's it. No, I mean, I think they're mentioned a couple times in the second and third movie, but they're mentioned as a group of people who went missing because there are multiple groups of people who go missing. Right. So what ends up happening is, yeah, there are multiple people that go missing. What are you talking about? But that's but that's for the other episode. That's not for this episode. What's important is um, they're talking to Sarah, and she ends up saying that she's tired or whatever. And, and they're like, 
all right, well, we can we can stop. Where are you staying? And she goes, oh, I'm in room 2C. So they're like, all right, well, you know, we'll do some things here. And then whenever you're feeling better, um, we'll, we'll come and get you and we can continue. Yeah. And she's like, all right. And then she, you know, fucks off. And then, well, before that, she says, you guys should go check out the Abaddon. But she, yeah, she doesn't say this on camera, quote unquote. I mean, the camera is still rolling, but she's off screen. And I think they throw up like subtitles or whatever. Yeah. And she, she says this very interesting thing about you should go to the Abaddon. And the girl's like, well, you know, we tried, but we can't get in. And she says, is that the only thing stopping you? And she's like, yeah. And she goes, we'll just go there tonight. So it's very obvious that Sarah opens something up. And sure enough, whenever, you know, they go, uh, they're looking for and saying, well, whenever you get something from, from Sarah, uh, she's in room 2C and the, uh, well, what are they called? The front desk people? Yeah, the, the receptionist at the hotel. Yeah, I forgot the technical term for him. But anyway, she's like, we don't have room with letters. We just have numbers. There is no 2C. And, and then she's like, oh, well, where's Sarah Havel staying? And she goes, there is no Sarah Havel. Sarah Havel is not checked into this hotel. So that's like, oh. Oh, she must have just given a different name. It's not something we're going to worry about. No, but it's weird. Yeah, super weird. But we're still going to go there. Um, so they they go, and what ends up happening is Mitch, I remember him, their, their editor or whatever, is reviewing the footage and then comes across something that is super shocking and tries to get a hold of her but can't. What's he uh, come across? So he comes across the footage of the night that everything happens and basically what happens is the paul is dead joey has run off he's like i'm done i don't want to do this you can't pay me enough money um mac is like freaked out about things but he's still going along with it alex is just we need to get this done so to put into context what happens there are these hooded cloaked figures that show up the main girl says this isn't a part of the show as people are going through the haunt when this actually happens. And then they start freaking out because the hooded figures start attacking people. Um, you get Bob, their, their clown guy that runs out, which fun fact about him when he does his eye pop scene. That's really, real. Yeah. Yeah. I figured you would know that, but I'm just going to, yeah, I, I didn't know that. I looked that up immediately because that was like, I was like, that's a weird looking effect. No, nah, that was really his eye. Yeah. Pop so I out. looked it up and I was like, Oh, I was like, that's cool. He's got, he's got that cool thing, but what ends up happening is he runs out, they start attacking people, um, there's this really cool shot of Alex in the attic, I think is where it's at. Where he's hanging. Where he's hanging. And funny enough about that one, um, Angie tells a story in the interview that I watched where she was one of the hooded cloaked figures, and apparently for a few days prior to that, they wanted him to be like genuinely terrified to get that reaction, so she kind of builds up this thing of that she's crazy and you know has this inner desire to hurt people but doesn't like blatantly come out and say it just says you know some little offhand remarks here and there to kind sometimes of sometimes i out. think about my friend's insides being on the outside i wouldn't say i wouldn't say that but yes that's, <laughs> that's basically it but anyway she said that she put in these contacts that made her eyes weird and yellow and she's one of the people that's in there so when he's hanging there she ends up going up to him and then like throws her head up and looks at him and it freaked him out real bad so he said that she said after it was done he was like fuck you don't talk to me and didn't talk to her for like three days that's super funny but i really like that scene yeah that's a good scene like i that that was shot well in my opinion because uh because what's his name goes up there is looking at it trying to find him boom they're dead alex is dead 
cuts to because um, that's when that's when Mac dies, right? I think so. Because Mac's the one that finds Alex up there, and then he gets attacked by the hooded figures. Obviously, Alex ain't gonna make it. That one's abundantly clear. And then you have Sarah, who is picking up the camera now, and she runs into Paul, who is weird. And then Paul just like she hugs him, she's you know loving on him, and then Paul just kills her, man. Yeah, just like annihilates her. So the editor that stayed behind to edit footage while they went to the hotel has just seen Sarah's death and Paul's death because he picks up a piece of glass and right slits his throat. But the important thing is he sees Sarah's death because he's the one that was just in their office. Right. So she's he's trying to call her, and then ironically enough, you know they're they're investigating it, and she's talking about the blood trail and like oh that must have happened, which ended up being Sarah because her body was was drug away, mm-hmm. and. They're in a room, her phone rings, and she says, oh, it's Mitch, I'll call him later, and purposely ignores it. And I'm like, that's a very realistic thing, I think. You know, oh, yeah. so, like I, I believe that that would happen. I do that to people's phone calls almost every time my phone rings. Yeah, you're like, oh, I'll call him back later, I'm doing something. Yeah, or I'm just going to ignore it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you want to be an asshole about it, sure. Yeah. Uh, but she ignores it, goes off, and then she goes, oh my god, 2C. And the ca- the camera guy's like, we need to get out of here. Yeah, we we aren't going in here. And she's like, well, we got to get a shot inside. And he's he's very much like, no. And 2C is the room that Sarah and Alex were staying in. So when she opens up the door, unlatches it, and opens it up, Sarah's sitting on the bed. And she's like, oh, are you okay, are honey? You? Yeah. Uh, stupid fucking question. Okay. I'm just going to go on my dumb questions that were asked in a horror movie list. Are you okay? As she's sitting on the bed, not saying anything. And then she goes up to her, and they enter the room, and then all of a sudden the door swings shut, and they turn around, look at it. It's it's gone, turned back around, and now Sarah is in a room with, you know, like five hooded black robe figures. Exactly, and then... And then they attack them in that scene of the movie. And, and for me, if that wasn't in there, this movie would be a little bit better for me because I thought the... I thought the ending needed work. I mean, the ending was just like, I don't want to use the word abrupt. It it, it was too long. Like, they mm-hmm. just had a couple too many scenes. Like, I think that it would have been a better movie, especially with how the sequels played, had they ended it when Sarah leaves the interview room. Right. And they end it with them compiling the footage and finding out Sarah was dead. Like, I think them going there and you know, the editor finding out that Sarah was dead and the other two people dying because they went to the hotel and they showed it. It seems silly. Like, I think it would have even been better had they just gone to the hotel and then showed him seeing the footage of Sarah being dead and then cutting it there. That would have been fine. Um, They get to the hotel, he sees the footage, and then he calls and she answers. And before they go inside the hotel, that would have been fine. Um, It's... What's the word? It's it, it's very much like any stereotypical paranormal movie where bad thing wins. Bad thing gets person in end. And, and that's what I didn't like because I thought this movie was better than most found footage films. And I think that you could have had that paranormal fact factor in it, but just not ended it the way that you did. Ended it differently and it would have been a stronger ending and probably would have made my score go up because the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, that ending kind of sucks. And then the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, it's really good until the ending. Yeah, I mean, well, the ending makes sense with the two follow-up films. 
Okay, and it it does. It one hundred percent makes sense if you're thinking about it from a trilogy standpoint. But, but as if you a look standalone it, movie, yeah, as a, and wholeheartedly I agree. Don't think this movie needed sequels. I think that it was fine, and I liked the mystery surrounding what was going on. Of was this real? Was it not real? Was there a malfunction? Was there a malfunction? I think that that was a very very interesting premise for the movie that they kind of just said, "Fuck this." We're going all in. Yeah, they they full sent on paranormal. Right, and I didn't, I didn't like that because it was like, oh, this is paranormal activity or whatever. So the ending to me needed to be changed, and if they had have pulled back a little bit on the whole paranormal thing and just really said, okay, maybe it's paranormal, maybe it's a malfunction. This is what we're trying to decide with this documentary, and did it that way. Perfect. Right. You would have got a five out of five. But they didn't, and then they made two shitty sequels. The third one wasn't that bad. I mean, yeah, but we'll, we'll talk about those in, in part two of our twofer. Yes, sir. Because, I mean, spoiler alert, there's not really much to talk about for the second and third movies, so that's why we're putting them together. Yes, sir. So, all right. Well, is there anything else that you want to say before we get into Bailey's Babbles? Um, I think that's about all I have to say about this movie. What recommendations would you make for people who enjoyed this movie? Um, I, I would say if you're if you're a fan of found footage films, you would definitely definitely like this movie. Uh, Blair Witch, Cloverfield, uh, Paranormal, Paranormal Activity. Activity, just the first one. Uh, okay. Video games, I think a video game that you would really enjoy for this would be Outlast. If you haven't played those, not the second one, definitely the first one, because it's a very found footage Ask. style game. Then obviously I can't think of any like book recommendations. So I don't have any book recommendations either for video games, but for other movies, like if you enjoy paranormal movies, like any hauntings or anything like that, that's not just straight like exorcism possession style. So like the conjuring? Yeah, if you like conjuring or anything like that, I think you would also like this movie. Because while it's very different in artistic style, the thematic elements are similar I can, uh, I can agree with that and the overall like concept is very similar right okay yeah i can go with that one so i would go with you know hauntings like sinister the conjuring stuff like that right okay especially sinister because it also deals with you know wild backstory although i think sinister was better sinister is better but that's but. just an opinion well, yeah, and Sinister's a different form of found footage. Well, I don't think Sinister's found footage. It has found footage elements. We, okay, so, yeah, that that would be why I would say, like, it's not... It, it would be basically like Cannibal Holocaust is found footage, but it's not. Right. It's like found footage of found footage, which is found footage. <laughs> don't know why I said that. We'll edit that out. <laughs> um, no, we won't. No, we won't. But yeah, I mean, if you're into found footage, paranormal stuff, definitely give this a try. It's a solid movie. Um, I think it does things that you would expect, and it does things that are pretty cool, and I think I really enjoyed the premise of a haunted house being haunted. Yeah. No, I I, I agree completely. So with that being said, what do you got for Bailey's Babbles? So I've actually, we've actually kind of talked about this before. Whereas I've historically asked you if you believed in like ghosts or supernatural elements or spookies like that. And you indicated that you did not. You are correct. So my question is this. 
especially from your perspective of not thinking anything like that's real, I feel like this would be even more fun. Okay. What level of haunt would have to happen before you noped out of somewhere? So, for example, you go to a house, you know, sometimes things move without you knowing, you know, your lights randomly turn on, your Xbox or you have a PlayStation, your PlayStation randomly turns on or off, and just, like, unexplainable stuff happens. At what point or, like, at what level of uh, haunt in the instance that it was a supernatural thing causing it would have to occur before you were just like, nope, I'm leaving, I'm moving out, I'm finding somewhere else. I don't want to be here because I don't like the uh, aura or I think there's something here with me. Something is thrown in my head. That's That's it. That's, yeah, that because everything else I can legitimately justify and explain. You can logic out of. Yeah, I can logic out of that and be like, okay, well, I'm hearing voices or whatever okay so suspend your disbelief so you've got like a wife girlfriend husband whatever whatever you're into and children your father and your children slash wife claim to be experiencing stuff and you are too but whenever you experience it you're just like oh no not real i'm ryan reynolds in the amityville whore are you yes that's that's literally how that would play out okay because until something is thrown at me because I can't logically explain that. I can't explain a cup or a lamp or whatever. Now, if, if the lamp falls over, things fall over all the time, right? If my PlayStation turns on and off, okay, well, obviously it's malfunctioning. I need to take a look at it, right? The lights flicker. Will they do that because of a power surge or maybe they're going out? Maybe there's something electrical that's going on, blah, 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 right? I can justify everything. Or if I hear something, I can go, okay, well... I have an overactive imagination. I'm making this up. I'm not actually hearing something. But, and then, oh, so another thing is like something touched me or whatever. Well, I have the sensation that I'm being watched all the time. And then I've had sensations where I thought something brushed up against me all the time. And it never happens because, again, overactive imagination. But the moment that something is physically picked up and thrown at me, I cannot logically explain that. I, I mean, can't, I can't logically explain something levitating and being thrown at me to harm me. I can't explain like my my remote like lifting off and then thrown at me. What if there's a Jedi present? Then yes, I can logically explain <laughs> that. But since we're not talking about Jedi's, that would be that would be the time. Like as soon as that happened, I go, okay, obviously there's something going on here. I'm noping out of this. So, once again, you've indicated that you don't think that anything like that is actually possible. Correct. So why do you think that so many people historically have been adamant about it? And how would you like explain their experiences in a logical way? Uh, I'll use the Amityville horror as an example. Okay. The Amityville horror, there was an actual tragedy that happened with the DeFeo family. Correct. Their son murdered everybody in that house. That is fact. Now he blames it on demons telling him to do it. I think that he's just, you know, with my psychology degree, which this is why I don't believe in in ghosts and shit, is because he was just mentally ill and was paranoid, schizophrenic, delusional. That's why he thought these things happened. That really happened. But people claim that things happen because it is associated with that house. So now you have this mass hysteria of people's imaginations going off and them going, oh my God, I'm inside this house. This is why it's happening. That's why all these supernatural elements have happened. Plus, I truly do believe that the Amityville Horror was wrote as a book to make money. 
none of that actually happened. It was all because some of the things that happened in that book are so ridiculously fucking stupid. <laughs> there is no way that like a demon's face would be in the fire and turned around. Okay, that's just fiction. So I I think that part of it is uh, mass hysteria, and then part of it is oh, I can make some serious money if I say this happened. So you don't think uh, like the son of Sam's neighbor's dog was actually talking to him? No, I think he was fucking crazy. I mean, that's a fair assessment. It's like it's like the same thing with with serial killers. You know, when they're asked like, "Why did you do it?" I don't know, because I wanted to. You know, like Richard Ramirez says that Satan compelled him to do everything. I don't believe Satan compelled him to do anything. I believe he wanted to do it and used that as his scapegoat to justify why he did what he did. When in all actuality, there really is no reason. Other than being, you know, a shitty person. Yeah, like he just, he wanted to do it. That's yeah. what it is. Lacked empathy. Yeah, super lacked empathy. It's like when, you know, uh, so when, when Jeffrey Dahmer was asked, you know, like, why, why did you do it? And he said, because I wanted company. It was because he was lonely. That's why he did it. But it was also because he wanted to do it. He knew what he was doing was wrong. But he was like, well, this is how I ensure that I get what I want. So now it's the selfish desire of, I don't care anymore. This is happening. So I think that's why people say that the hotel is haunted. Like the uh, the one in Arkansas, like the Crestview Hotel, I think is what it is. I'm unsure. We, we need to go to it, but the prices are, like, stupidly expensive to stay the night in there. But when people stay the night, they claim all these things happened. And I think that's because it is, quote-unquote, haunted, but it's old. So you have these rickety old floors, and maybe the wind makes a noise or whatever, and you automatically go, oh, my God, it's a ghost. Oh, my God, it's a ghost, when it's the fucking wind. Right. But you've been primed into believing that it's haunted, so you automatically attribute natural things to be supernatural well yeah you can condition someone to do anything right that's the way that classical conditioning works so if i condition someone to be afraid of a house they will be afraid of that house because of whatever yeah and in this specific instance it's oh this place is haunted there are ghosts so now people are more likely to be like oh this place is haunted i heard a noise I don't know what made the noise. It must have been a ghost instead of, you know, it being potentially like the wind or a creaky floor or something. Right, like the wind going off outside right now. You know, it's not, it's obviously light when we're doing this, but if it was dark, I could It could be a ghost howling. Yeah, it could be a ghost howling. It could be a wolf howling. It could be like, you know, a noise that I'm not unsure about. And then once I hear that noise, my mind starts racing and thinking of all the worst case scenarios because I believe that we as humans are primed to immediately go to our worst case scenario for everything first yeah. and to always see the the bad things instead of the good like we're we're primed to do that because if we see the bad first we can survive well and the reason like people feel afraid is because that's like a natural reaction to uncertainty right people are scared of what they don't know it's like being scared of the dark you're not actually scared of the dark you're scared of what's in the dark because well, you don't know. It's not even scared of what's in the dark. You're scared of the uncertainty of not knowing. Right, yeah, you're because un- you're, you don't know what's in there. Exactly. There could be something. There could not be anything. You don't know. That's why you're scared. Exactly. But you're if you knew that there was, like, rabid dogs, you would potentially still be scared. But, but you you're scared be for different scared. reasons. Exactly. Now you're scared for a survival reason of, I'm not going in there because I will die. It's like, you know, I'm terrified of heights, right? But that's a survival thing for me where I go, okay, 
I'm not I'm not actually scared of being up high. I'm scared of falling. Exactly. That's what it is because I know that if I fall off something, I will die. Potentially. Potentially. I mean, you you can survive it. I there are instances of people. Peggy Hill fell out of a plane and lived. I mean. Well, there was a story of this uh, girl who hit the ground parachuting because like half of her parachute went out and she hit the ground at 55 miles an hour and lived. Yeah, Peggy Hill. That was not Peggy Hill. <laughs> that was not Peggy Hill. But yeah, like it, it's possible. But at the same time, I don't want to put myself in that situation. So my survival mechanism is to go, oh, you're terrified of being up high. You don't need to do this. You're going to fall. Right. I feel that. So yeah, that's what it is. You're scared for different reasons. Like if I knew that there was a, if I knew there was like a Michael Myers or something that was in my closet, I'm going to be terrified of going in there, not because it's a closet, but because someone is trying to kill me and they're in there. Now I need to not go in there. Whereas, you know, if I knew there was nothing in the closet, I'm not scared of the closet. But if you didn't know what was in the closet, would you be scared of the closet? I mean, no, I'd be scared of not knowing what's in the closet. (laughs) Like I'm never actually scared of the closet. But what if it's a scary closet? Well, the closet talks and it's like Monster House, then I will say, I'm scared of the closet. What if it's like Hell House? If it's like (laughs) Hell House, then I'm scared of the house, not the closet. All right. Do you have anything else for this part one of two? Um, No, I do not. Um, I will say, if you've enjoyed part one, listen to part two, because we do go into way more detail about the lore of everything. Yes, but also recommend that you watch the second two if you intend to before listening to it because it's going to be very very spoiler heavy very very quickly yes and if you if you enjoyed this movie you might enjoy the other two i don't know you'd probably enjoy three you would enjoy for lore's sake don't watch three without watching two though and yeah definitely watch them in order uh, because two references one one three references two and one exactly so all right this has been bailey and this has been taylor And this has been Two Idiots, One Podcast. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful evening. Bye. Bye.